Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. Thank you for downloading this week's podcast. We're currently in a two-part series entitled, The Separation of Church and Hate. Grab your pen and paper as we prepare to hear God's Word ministered to us today. What's up, New Hope Church? We are so glad you are in the house of God today. Welcome to part two of Separation of Church and Hate. Unfortunately, I'm not with you. I took a big group of pastors and staff to a conference. I will be back in the house next Sunday to lead us through the book of Philippians. Go ahead and read that in advance for this coming Sunday. But that's next week. Let's talk about today. Today you are in for a treat. And I wanted to introduce this man of God to Columbia and North Raleigh, our new campuses. Most of you know him. His name is Chad Lunsford, he is the pastor over Connections, and he is a teaching pastor at this church. And he always, always, always brings a solid biblical word to the house of God. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, grab your pen, grab your teaching notes. Heck, while you're reaching down, grab a church magnet and throw it on the back of your car in the name of Jesus and get ready for God to speak today. But before Chad comes to the stage... We want you to see another video. We went out on the streets again this week and we asked people what their perception was of the church. And once again, it confirmed exactly why we need to do this series titled Separation of Church and Hate. Hey, I love you guys. Have a great Sunday and I will see you right back here next Sunday. God bless. Do you believe that churches are usually places of love and warmth and welcoming spirit? Or do you believe churches are typically places of judgmentalism and mean-spiritedness and that sort of thing? I think it's a mixture of both. I think um, there are people who are firm in what they believe in that go to church and feel like there are certain things that are wrong and that are right. But there are people who are genuine Christians and believe that, you know, People sin, we're all human, and we accept you as you are. And tell me this, what do you think is the best approach of those two you just described? Uh, the Christian. Um, not the quote-unquote church people who are judgmental. And it, because I feel like those are the people who run, um, the people who really need it the most away from the church. You know, I think all churches are very judgmental. They need to learn to accept one another at church first. And there, there's a lot of, of thinking that people need to do to be able to accept one another. Yeah. What kind of thinking would that be? Just, just to enjoy each other and, and not to be so judgmental about what one person does or, or critical of what person does or doesn't do. I mean, we're all sinners and we all have our, our faults. And... Um, I mean, he loves us all. I mean, we, we hate the sin, but love the sinner. Do you go to church? No. Um, why? Because uh, I'm an atheist. Awesome. I love having a conversation with you. That's awesome. What is your perception of Christians and the church? And I'm asking for your honest truth. If it's good, tell me about it. If it's bad, if it's indifferent, what is your perception? Generalizations, because 
you know, I think some people do actually live by the tenets, that, but I think there's a lot of hypocrites out there. I think that religion is used in a lot of bad ways. But I think if it's, you know, if somebody feels that they need that support in their life, if that's what they need, that's what they need, and I'm not going to judge. So... Um, do you think, you said you're not going to judge, that's where I was going next. Do you think Christians or the church in general um, can be overly judgmental? I have encountered that in my life, yes. I moved here recently from London, England. Wow. And, well, yeah, thanks. I'm from England. Can't you tell from this accent? I can, I can. And I feel like I have to be in the closet here huh. about my religion because I feel that people will judge you and look at you or about your atheism what you're yeah. calling a religion well it's it's my belief whatever yeah. you know yeah, sure. um that people will not accept me because of that or people will look at me in a bad light because of that Catherine, if you could just create the perfect church or religious organization that, that you would be remotely interested in what would it look like yeah, where you wouldn't be, you know, judged because you believe a certain way or you look a certain way or you have a certain sexual orientation, for example, or a certain skin color or whatever. I would want you to know that you would be so welcome in all of your atheism at our church and you would not feel condemned, you would not feel guilty, you would not need to, you use the language, you know, like I'm in a closet over my atheism. We are a church that welcomes all people and you would be so welcome there. I just want you to know that. Welcome, New Hope Church. It's uh, good to see everybody. Welcome into all of our campuses, especially. It's, uh, it's kind of cool for me to welcome in North Raleigh and Columbia. Guys, this is the first time you're seeing me, but I've been praying for you for a very, very long time, and all of us here as well. So why don't we welcome all them, guys? To our newest campuses, I, uh, I got to hang out with uh, the crew over in Garner last Sunday evening, so that was kind of fun to hang with the rowdy 430 crowd over in Garner. So if you're in the morning and you want to looking for a rowdy crowd, maybe the evening crowd is for you, Garner. Welcome to Sanford. Welcome to the ladies at NCCIW. Uh, kind of a special shout out to my peeps up in the coffee house. Welcome to all of you here at Central. If you're excited for part two of this series, Separation of Church and Hate, at all of our campuses, let me hear you shout real quick. It is a, uh, it's a very, uh, it's a cool series. Pastor Benji got us started last week and uh, just did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Uh, I'm appreciative to him for starting such a controversial series and then leaving town. It's awesome. It's great. Thanks, Pastor Benji. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to be up here today. He uh, just really laid it down last week and just did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Uh, if you did not get a chance to hear his teaching, uh, head out to the Resource Center. It should be at any of our campuses, or you can make an order, or you can just get it for free uh, on, online as soon as this service is over. So if you haven't heard it, I would highly encourage you to, to go and listen to it. Just gold. I mean, just, just great, great stuff. My message today is going to dovetail, I think, rather nicely with Pastor Benji's message uh, last week. Last week, Pastor Benji was kind of taking us on the trail, if, if you were. He was walking through the details. So if we are Christians, what does it look like? What are the, the what's and the how's of uh, engaging and interacting in public discourse and engaging in culture? What are the things we should do and the things we should not do uh, in, in, in culture? 
So if you haven't heard it, you, you need to go hear it. So Pastor Benji was taking us on the trail. We were kind of stopping to, to smell the flowers. All right, we were looking at the details. Today, we're going to zoom up from the trail to kind of 30,000 feet. All right, I want us, to, I want us to, to get a renewed vision, a renewed picture of what God is doing, of what God is up to. And so it's my heart today that when you walk out of here, you've got a crystal clear picture of this is who God is, this is what God is doing, and this is what God expects of me. So I, I, hope, that, I hope that comes clear today. Perception is important, is it not? Perception is important. How you perceive things is very, very important. And so I want us to perceive today who God is and what he's up to. And then everything that Pastor Benji said last week, we will kind of finish connecting all of the dots. He did just a marvelous job. He gave us about six or seven statements. Do this, don't do that. And we'll be following Jesus and Paul. Kind of, he was kind of broad stroking. Today, we're going to fly up 30,000 feet, right? So like you can, you can walk in the middle of a crowd and you can have one perception of what's going on. You can go and stand on top of a building and look down on that crowd and have a very different picture. Are you with me? I want us to have a renewed perception of what's going on. Perception can be everything. Uh, this week, I kind of had my, um, my perception or just sort of the, the way I'm looking at the world. I, I, was, I was given a renewal of perspective, if you will. So, a week ago yesterday, my, uh, my family and I, we arrived back in town. So last Saturday, we arrived back in town from, uh, from being out for, for the weekend. We were celebrating my son's first birthday uh, in the mountains of Tennessee with, uh, with some other family. We got back in. It was probably 11 o'clock at night. We put the kids to bed. We are dog-tired from, from driving and just having a great weekend. My wife walks into our bedroom, and her feet begin to slosh as she's walking on the carpet. And I get the, Chad, come here, hurry, right? So I run up the stairs and I walk in and I'm like, what is going on? There's just water all over our carpets. I flip the lights on, I look at our wall and there is water running down our walls. And the good, the good news is we have really good paint. I know that because there were, <laughs> there were sacks of water forming in the wall. The, the paint was not giving way. Sacks of water forming between the drywall and the paint. So that basically spurred a, a, a week of living with, uh, with ServPro, if you've ever been there, right? So ServPro is in our house, and they're ripping up carpets, and they're cutting holes in the wall, and there's dehumidifiers on all levels of our house. There are these massive fans, and to sit and talk to one another at the dinner table, we had to yell to hear one another, right? And so I don't want to overstate the point, but imagine living with that for a week, right? So my wife and I, were a little edgy. Right? We were kind of a little bitey with one another and with the kids. And we were kind of noticing this, but it was still kind of hard to like break out of it. You know what I mean? Well, I, I broke out of it quickly. My wife uh, sent me a text on, uh, I think it was Wednesday afternoon. She sends me this text and she says, uh, call me when you can. Husbands, if you haven't been married very long, that means call as soon as humanly possible. Right? <laughs> so I call and she's like, you're not going to believe this. So if, you, if you're familiar with the Cary area here in North Carolina... You should be able to follow me on this. So my wife is traveling down O'Kelly Chapel Road, heading to uh, the dance class for my girls. She's, uh, she typically turns onto Yates Store Road. So she's heading southeast, and she'll head south onto Yates Store Road. She has this thought. I will ju- I'm just going to go drive up to Green Level Road. It can get me there just as fast. There's been a lot of construction going on. I'm going to go up and see what's, what's, what's been happening. The last second, right, she's going full speed down O'Kelly Chapel Road. Last second, she says to herself, or she has this feeling, rather, that she should turn right. 
She doesn't know why, but she just responds. She listens. She turns right. So she has to stop the car quickly and turn right. As she's turning right, turning south onto Yates Store, there's someone driving up Yates Store Road, full blast. She, she kind of estimates 50, 60 miles per hour, missing the stop sign, and they go right across O'Kelly Chapel Road and keep on going. And my wife is like, wait, I was just going to be there a second later if I hadn't turned right. And so as she's telling me this on the phone, I'm kind of like tearing up, like I'm picturing everything. Like when you picture your whole family being T-boned by a car, your perspective changes pretty quickly. Do you think I could care (laughs) in any way, shape or form about fans in my house at that moment? Bring them on, bring more, right? Bring some more dehumidifiers. Like let's get the house all nice and hot. It'll be awesome, right? Perspective was beginning to change. Are you with me? Perspective can change everything. Here's why this is important. How do you perceive God? You see, the way you perceive God will shape the way you live for God. Are you with me? How you perceive God, the way you see God, shapes the way you live. The way you see God shapes the way you live. Right? Like, let's just think about this for a moment. This might hit home with some people. Hopefully it's not too raw, but you can kind of follow the metaphor. If you aren't convinced that your parents love you, right? You're just, you're just not sure. You're not convinced your parents have your best at, at heart. It will cause you likely to do one of two things. Likely, right? Kind of broad stroking here. Either to do things to get their approval or you'll rebel against them. Are you with me? Most likely you'll probably do one of those two things and neither is healthy. Are you with me? If you are not convinced that God is for you, it will cause you to do unhealthy things in life, right? The way you see God, it shapes the way you live. If you believe God is for you, you will live as though God is for you. If God's for you, you'll be for others, right? If, if you think God is against you, you'll be against others. The way we perceive God matters. So let me ask you, is God for you? Is God for you? Is is God against you? Is, is God out to get you? Does God have your best at heart? How you answer those questions means everything because it shapes the way you live. You see, we're required to do a series like this because people have equated church and hate, right? That's kind of the elephant in the room. That's, that's the reason we have to do a series like this. That's the way often church is perceived in culture. Is their perception off or is it clear? If you're a country music fan, you're probably uh, aware of a, of a singer named Miranda Lambert. She has a song that's been out for several months. And in the song, she's talking about gossip. And when she talks about gossip, every time I hear it, I just kind of, I laugh, but I kind of cringe inside at the same time. Maybe you've heard this song. She equates in her words, not my words, her words, the barflies and the Baptist. Right? That's how she perceives the, the church, right? Now, that's a very mean thing to say about the Baptist, right? Or maybe it's a mean thing to say about the barflies. I don't know. It's a joke. All right, just go with me. All right. But that's how, that's how often the church is perceived, right? Like if, if people are not coming to church, it's often because they just simply don't like church. Now, that's a bad thing because if they don't like the church, we are supposed to be the very body of Christ. Therein, they don't like Jesus. And as a church, it's our whole desire to lift people's eyes to Christ. If they don't like the church, therein they don't like Jesus. So what's, what's going on? What's, what's, what's wrong? What's off? You see, here's the deal. 
I have this audacious belief. It's what I pray over my kids every night when I put them to bed. It's what I'm praying for someone that I want them to, to know Christ. This is what I pray. You see, I have this audacious belief that if people would really come to know God, like they can really see who he is, they'll come to love him. And if they come to love him, they'll come to live their lives for him. It's just my audacious belief that if you can really, really, really know who God is and what he's been up to, you'll fall in love with him and you'll learn to live your life for him. So here's what I want to do today. I want to sketch out the picture of what God has been up to. All right, it's going to be 30,000 feet. I can't hop into all the details. Some of you might say, well, what about this? What about this? Listen, this might have been one of the hardest messages for me to, to, to put together because I wanted to say more, but I just can't today. All right, so you just got to stick with me. I'm, I'm actually going to draw today. Now, I have never drawn on this stage before for a reason, all right? So if you like my artwork, you like where this, you can just feel free to cheer when I'm, when I'm drawing, okay? Or, you know, you're getting, you're getting warmed up. I like it. I like it. So here's the deal. Let's go back to the very beginning. Very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. Let's just start there. In the beginning, God. There wasn't anything else. There was God. Then it goes on, God created the heavens and the earth. So I want to I sketch this up here. All right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Huh? I've been practicing that. I've been practicing this. You're like, really? You've been practicing that? I have. In the beginning, God created, God created the heavens and the earth. Later on in Genesis 1, it says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. So God makes man, Adam. I'm going to give Adam some biceps, right? Because it's his big occasion. He's on camera today. So that's what those are. Those are biceps. In the beginning, God created, said, let us make man in our image, right? So there's, there's plural words there, us and our. Throughout the scriptures, we, we, we learn that there is a father, There is a son and there is a spirit, Holy Spirit. Now, I don't have time to hop into the whole Trinity today, but here's what I want to sketch for us. Every time we see the father, he's pointing to the son. He's constantly pointing out to the son. He is in love with the son. He's in community with the son. Everything you could ask for in a father-son relationship, we, it's here. He admires, he honors, he respects the son. The son, in turn, trusts, obeys, does the work of the father. There, there's community. And what we come to learn, again, this is broad stroking, what we come to learn throughout the scriptures is that the father always points to the son, the son always points to the father, both point to the spirit, the spirit points back, all the arrows are pointing out. The Holy Spirit's carrying the love of the father to the son. The Holy Spirit's carrying the love of the son to the father. He's both caring and participating in it all at the same time. All right. So that's, that's kind of the first, the first part of it within God, within God, there's community. Now this is important. God exists in community. In fact, first John four, eight says that God is love, right? Like love is not our idea. Love is God's idea. We don't define it for God. God defines it for us. God is love. I, I read a quote several years ago when I was in seminary. And I, 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 I just, I held on to it because I thought it said it so well. Catherine Lacuna, she's a, she's a theologian. She says this, The God who is love 
doesn't remain locked up in splendid isolation of self-love, but spills over into what is other than God, giving birth to creation and history. The God who is love, who exists in love, took that love and funneled it, creating humanity. Right? It goes on to say that, man, that God looked at man and said it was not good for man to be alone. The word alone in Hebrew means like a limb without a body. It's kind of a funny image. And God said it's not good for man to be like a limb without a body, so he creates woman. Now Eve went to the salon just for her appearance. All right. And he goes on to say that, that, that God he created them male and female. So it was not good for them to be alone. In fact, the community of the earth is supposed to resemble the community of heaven. Are you, are you guys following me? Yes. You liking my artwork? Yes. All right. All right. You're tracking. So this community is supposed to represent and resemble this community. There's love. There's respect. There's admiration. It's going back and forth. Now, you might notice that all the arrows are not quite pointing out just yet. There's one that's missing. What we find in Genesis chapter 2 that God comes and he communes with the community of earth to lift them up and participate in the community of heaven. It's a beautiful image if you, if you, can, if you can see that. And it's the Holy Spirit that's participating and carrying all of it. Participating and carrying all of it. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, God says, you need to trust me. You need to obey me. As the, father, or as the son obeys the father, you are to obey and trust me. You're to lift your eyes up to me. I'm going to give you all the earth, everything that's in it, and you are to enjoy it. You're to, 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 to cultivate it, to fill it. There's one tree. I want you to stay away from it. And in so doing, you will trust. You will obey me. You will lift your eyes up to me. Genesis chapter 3, right after God comes to the man and the woman in the cool of the day. It's a beautiful picture. He comes in the cool of the day. We get the, we get the picture that God is looking to commune. God is looking to commune with his creation. Can you picture it? But something's wrong. He can't find the man and the woman. I, I want to read it together. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He's beginning to plant the seed, the seed of doubt. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. He's furthering the lie. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, God is holding out on you. God is not for you. God doesn't have your best in mind. You need to begin looking out for yourself. You need to begin looking out for yourself. Don't point up to God. Start, start looking out for one another. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In other words, they are no longer going out to one another. This stops, and they be, they're, in, they're in shame. 
And they begin to point the arrows back at themselves. Or they begin to hide from one another. And what God had envisioned falls apart. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord. As God comes down and they're supposed to go back up. Instead of pointing back up to God, they go and hide. They hide away from God. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? So what happened? They bought the lie. They bought the lie. God is not for you. You need to begin looking out for yourself. You see, the story of Adam and Eve is not just some story that happened years ago. It's the story of what happens every day. It's the story of what happens every day. People look at God and say, God isn't out for my best, right? Otherwise, we would trust, right? When, when we don't obey God, when we go our own direction, we're saying, you don't have my best in mind. You don't have my best in your heart. It's the story of us all. When you were sick, you had that thought, right? Has God left me? When you were lonely and hurting, you had that thought, God isn't for me or I wouldn't feel like this. When you were going through that situation, you had that thought, God has left me if there even is a God at all, right? We've all bought the lie. Adam and Eve buy the lie and it begins to to cut off the arrows pointing out and up to God. Death and destruction enters into the, 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 the human equation, into the human experience. They reject and even pervert God's idea of love and community. So what does God do? Does God just simply turn his back and and run the other direction and say, you know what, I wish I would have never made humanity? Does he just lock himself up in isolation? The opposite is true. He locks himself into covenant with humanity. In fact, in Genesis chapter 12, he finds one man, this man named Abram. We know him as Abraham. He's not following God at all, but God chooses him and says, through you, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a nation. In fact, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. God is seeking covenant with one man, with one nation, that he might bless the world. Let's read it together. Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 at all of our campuses. Let's read it together out loud. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. He's not following God, but God comes over and he plucks out Abram. He comes... He comes down, plucks out Abram and says, through you, I'm going to bless the nations. Genesis 17, he says, you are to trust me. You are to obey me much like the son obeys me, respects me, admires me. In so doing, you will be a blessing to the world and they will lift their eyes up to me. God, since the beginning of time has been for us. He's always been for us. And when we weren't seeking him, when we forgot about him, he was seeking us. God gives them a land. They eventually inherit the land. They become a great nation. But over time, they forget God. They stop following God. They stop obeying God. And the, the cycle continues over and over and over again. Now, I'm drastically oversimplifying the Old Testament, right? 
But that's, that's, that's the story. That's what's going on. What does God do? Does God leave? Does, does God just kind of take his ball and go home? Does God get angry? Does God judge humanity? The opposite is true. God continues to seek us with everything that he's got. If you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52, God is continuing to write his love story to the world. In fact, that's what this is, the the Bible. It's amazing how some people can look at it and see hatred and judgment, when in fact it's God's love story to us. I love you, I love you, and I've been pursuing you all along. Isaiah 52, verse 13. This is God's solution when Israel is not being light to the world. In fact, I want to to write that that on here before we go forward. When God says, I want to bless you, And I want to make you a blessing to the world. He's saying, this dark world, I want you to shine brightly as a light that when people look at you, they look up at me. Isaiah 52, this is God's answer. This is God's solution. Everything God has ever wanted to say to humanity, he's about to say it right now. See my servant. Now, we know he's talking about Jesus, but they didn't. Will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations. He will sprinkle many nations. In other words, when Jesus is put on the cross, what he's doing is going to go beyond simply Abram's, Abraham's nation. It's going to sprinkle to the world. God has not left the world. God loves the world. He's lifting them up. He goes on, and kings, and kings will... Shut their mouths because of him. I love this. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Israel was not getting it right. The nations were not looking to God. So what they have not seen, what they have not heard, now they're going to hear it. The nations of the world are going to hear it. And then he goes on. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He's talking about Jesus. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. His last few verses. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. When we invited death and destruction into the world, God said, right, if you don't obey, there will be death. They bought the lie. God's not for us. Death and destruction came in. It was due us, all of us. And this is what God's saying. He will take our sorrows and our infirmities. All that was due us, he will take up. The verse five, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In other words, God's saying, I'm not for death and dying. Never was. I'm not for the hurt and pain that you feel. When you thought I left you, I was pursuing you all along. I never left you. When, When God wants to speak to humanity, once and for all, he does it in Jesus. Everything God has ever wanted to say, he says in Jesus. We need to hear that today. Everything he's ever wanted to say, he says in Jesus. The one who was afflicted, rejected by men. The one who was put up on a cross. Everything God has ever wanted to say, he says, I am so in love with you. 
that I'm sending you my son who's going to take the punishment that you were due because you rejected me because you didn't turn your eyes to me, but I love you so much, I'm going to send my son. Now, if you've lived in America at least five minutes, you've probably seen this scripture on TV or heard someone say it or seen it on a billboard, John 3.16. John 3.16 and verse 17. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not die but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Everything God has ever wanted to say, he says it in Jesus. I'm not out to condemn you. I'm so for you. I am so for you. I'm sending my son. Can I show you a picture? I want to show you a picture of my son. He just turned one year old. We were out at the Duke game the cheers all right we were out at the duke game as you can see the stands are are packed full duke football game this is my son in whom i am well pleased i love him as much as i can possibly understand and i don't love him as much as god loves him i love you guys as much as i can possibly understand i'm not giving him up for one of you Are you tracking with me? God loves you so much that when death and destruction was due you, because you weren't turning your eyes to God, he sent his son to die for you. If there's something worth clapping about, I think it's that. God, God loves you that much. He loves you that much that the answer became His son, he sent his son to us that all nations, all nations would lift their eyes to him. Now he kept his promise, right? For the theologians out there, he kept his promise to the Israelites. Jesus was a Jew, correct? He was born through the Israelites and through them, all of us were blessed. God's answer was the cross. I am for you. I am for you. I am for you. I've always been for you. I want to read a few verses here. You guys are going to have to stay with me. But I want us to have a clear, clear picture of what's going on. Clear picture of what's going on. You're, 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 you should be saying by now, so what? So what's the point? The point's coming. John eight twelve. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, will never walk in death and darkness, but will have the light of life. So as Israel was supposed to be a light to the world, Jesus is saying, I am that light. Why in the world should hay ever even be equated with church? I am the light of the world. And just to to further drive home the point that God has always been for us, I want to throw this out. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, from one man, he being God made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Why? Catch this. If you hear one thing, you have to hear this. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us for in him, we live and move and have our being. God has always been pursuing us. He's always been pursuing you. When you thought God turned his back on you, nothing could be farther from the truth. In fact, he said, you are worth fighting for. I've been fighting for your heart all 
along. You see, all the arrows are pointing out. All the arrows are pointing out. It should come as no surprise to us that when Jesus is pulled aside one day, he's pulled aside by a teacher of the law, and they say, what's the greatest commandment? What does Jesus say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's not about you. It's about God. In the beginning, God. It's about him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the first and greatest commandment. And Jesus says the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's what God's been up to all along. It's what he's been up to all along. He's for us and he wants us to be for one another. So what? Right? So what? See, here's the deal. Everything, everything that God ever wanted to say, he says in Jesus. So when you find yourself in an argument with somebody and they're like, well, I just don't believe in that God stuff. And I just think Christians are hypocrites. And you've been in these, right? Everything God ever wanted to say, he said in Jesus. Point people to Jesus who went to the cross for them. Even if they don't believe it, he still did, right? Everything he ever wanted to say, he said in Jesus. This is uh, my wedding ring. My wife gave this to me on my wedding day, right? You've seen this ceremony. Now, I could say to my wife, I love you, right? You're, you're, my, you're, you're my sun and moon, right? But if I don't wake up in the morning and put my wedding ring on, she might be like, are, are you sure? Because I gave you a symbol, that you could show me each and every day that you love me. Now, I could, it doesn't matter what I say, right? But I, I can give her this symbol and say, everything I ever wanted to say. I'm not stuck with you, right? This isn't just my lot in life. Every morning I get up and this ring is on my finger. Now, she can choose to see it that way or not, right? Every morning I get up and I put on this ring on my finger. I'm saying to her, I choose you. I choose you. I'm still in love with you. And no matter what happens today, I choose you. Now, here's where the metaphor breaks down. Because God, everything he wanted to say, he said in Jesus. Jesus is a symbol of his love and affection. But it's not just that. It's not merely a symbol. When Jesus comes to us in the power of the Holy Spirit, chains are broken. When we turn towards ourselves, we can't, we can't break out of it. We, we can't get back out of pointing to ourselves. And when Jesus gave of his whole self, when the arrow was pointed to us, he broke the chains and allowed us to be able to point back to God and to point back towards one another. So what? Right, what's, what's, what's the so what? If God is for us, we should be for the world. That's the so what. If God is for us, We should be for the world. Now, the question is, why aren't we? Why in the world would church and hate ever be equated with one another? What if in our generation that just stopped? Because we were so for the world that people would never equate that. In fact, they would look at us and say, love. Love. That's that's who they are. That's what they're about. That's That's what their God has been up to because they love. Pastor Benji, he, he read this verse last week, and this is where we're going to start to land the plane. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others 
that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he says to us, you are the light of the world. You are my body, right? You are my hands and my feet on the earth. You are my hands and my feet on the earth. You are the light of the world. Love in such a way that people will then lift their eyes back to me. Love in such a way that people can see who I am and what I've been doing. You can say it. You can make a point. Or you can live it and you can make a difference. You can make a difference. John 13, one of my favorite passages. Jesus, he's sitting around with his disciples. He's washing their feet. God is washing people's feet. Showing this is what you were supposed to be about all along. Arrows pointing out. He looks around at his disciples. One of the last things he's going to say to them. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. Isn't that astounding that that was a new command? Love one another. That's what he's been about all along. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, when we love one another, when we take care of one another, and we are lifting our eyes towards God, we begin to lift the eyes of those around us. When we are Jesus, his hands and his feet, when Jesus was skin on to the people around us, when we love them in such a way that they can lift their eyes to God. They can lift their eyes towards God by the way that you and I love them. It's a pretty simple message. I wanted to to, to diagram it so that we could really see it. I wanted you to be able to walk home with it and be able to share it with others. God has been for us all along. And if that's the case, we should be for the world. I want to say it another way. God has been fighting for you all along. Who are you fighting for? If God has been fighting for you, who are you fighting for? Your neighbor might go to bed tonight not knowing that God is for them. They might be going through something incredibly difficult and they don't know God is for them. Are you fighting for them? There's someone in your life that's going through something difficult. Maybe it's at work or in your family. And they don't believe, they don't trust that God is fighting for them. Are you fighting for them? Are the arrows pointing out? This week I I had the privilege of of doing a a few uh, pastoral visits, some some difficult visits. And I wasn't really sure what to say or what to do. And I found myself, uh, and I didn't really know why, I just found myself praying the, the prayer of St. Francis. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've heard it at a funeral. You've, you've heard it at a benediction, something. This is a part of it. I want to read this to you because I think St. Francis gets to the heart of it. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, and I love this last part, it is in dying 
that we are born to eternal life. It is that in pointing the arrows out that we are lifted up to God. I want to invite us to stand in this moment. Invite us at all of our campuses to stand together. And I want us to pray. Invite the bands at all the campuses to, to come out. At all of our campuses, we're going to sing a song about God fighting for us. And I just want you to sit on that, on that truth. You might be here today and you didn't know God has been fighting for you. In fact, you thought God hated you. You thought God was punishing you. He already took the punishment for you. And so I just want us to to sit and linger in that, that our God loves us so much he's fighting for us. Sit in that, linger in all of our campuses, linger in that. Shout it out to God. Proclaim it. And as the song is winding down, I want us to think about this. Who are we fighting for? We are the light of the world. What a tremendous privilege. That God will look on us and say, I love you so much that I'm going to take your punishment. Not only that, I'm going to bring you into my plan. I'm going to invite you to have communion with your heavenly father. Let's pray. Father God, you are so in love with us. May we never question that. You are for us, you are for us, you are for us. When we were going through that tough time in our life, you were pursuing us. When our relationship here on earth was, was, was breaking down and we thought all the world was crumbling on top of us, you were pursuing us. When we were running in every direction but to you, you were pursuing us. God, you've been pursuing us, fighting for us all along. God, I pray that you would help us to see that the people around us are worth fighting for. We love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. And amen. Guys, let's lift it up to God. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the top of our homepage. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.